You can't see what's not seen until you let go of what is seen. And that's, I'm talking about your money. I'm at you live from New York City now. DJ, DJ. Yeah, no, none of that. None of that. It's like, yeah, sit in the spare office this time, broadcasting from a different location. Dalton's on the couch. Yeah. We got the living room set up here. How has your week been? My week has been pretty good. Very busy. Um, a lot of boring work stuff that I, uh, yeah, there's that. And then, you know, just keep him busy. Keep him busy. Um, I recently sort of as a half joke. So I'll, I'll go back a little bit. So when I was a kid and I would go out to the, the farm, my dad's parents um, had a farm in Louisiana and I'd go out and spend time with my grandmother out there. There were only three television shows that she ever watched that, or that I would watch with her for a while. It was hee haw, which uh, was, yes, yeah. that still comes up. My grandma watches that to this day, yeah. to this day. I mean, it hadn't been on the air for God, at least 30 years. Yeah. So hee haw for a while. And then she sort of transitioned over to the golden girls, which I think is why I have such a deep love for that show, because we would just sit in two chairs in front of the TV, no cable, big antenna, uh, Mm -hmm. watch the golden girls. And then later on, she fell in love with the nanny with Fran Drescher. And she thought that was the funniest show that she'd ever seen. And I remember watching it as a kid or younger um, because it was out in 93, I think is when it originally came out. And I liked it when I was watching it with her. That was very funny. Um, and so, like on a on a whim, I went back and watched some episodes. And I I just was like, this is going to be terrible. It's one of these dumb '90s sitcoms with a laugh track. But I have to say, it was not nearly as bad as I remember it. Oh, does and it hold up? It it fifty fifty. Like some okay. of the jokes are really lame, and then some of the jokes are are funny and they hit the right way. But it is so New York. It is there's so many New York jokes, and I'm thinking. How is this little woman in Kichai, Louisiana, keeping up with all of these like New York based jokes? I mean, it's very much about New York City. You got to think of all the movies and like TV shows that are based in New York. Yeah, but I mean, like, it was, there was like a joke about Astoria. And, like, who, unless you live here or have visited or have friends here, there's no way you knew that. And my grandmother never went to New York. <laughs> I don't think she's had, had ever been there. So, but yeah, but it was kind of fun rediscovering that. And, and it just, I was surprised. I really was, I was expecting a big disaster. And it was, you know, a little bit more fun than I thought it was. So I got a few episodes deep and was like, what am I doing with my life? Why am I sitting here watching <laughs> The Nanny on a weekend? Well, I am still discovering Game of Thrones. I'm about halfway through season two. I All think. right. So this is Dalton's 10 years too late spoiler. I, not much has happened yet. I don't know. I haven't watched that many episodes because I was busy mourning the loss of a desktop that, that yeah. I was editing the podcast on. Yeah, we had some we had some technical issues, mainly that Dalton's computer <laughs> caught fire. And it's a new computer. Um, it's newish. I bought it secondhand from a person in Tallahassee, but it was a custom built computer. Dude built it himself. And everything looks okay. I mean, cable management was nice, so you're not having wires like touching each other or anything. Uh what happened was I live very much in the woods, very much in the country. And when it rains, sometimes you get creepy critters that crawl in your house. 
And my theory is that a creepy critter crawled into the PC and just got zapped inside oh. the power supply. No. That's my theory. It, you know, it's not that bad of a theory because when I worked uh, at Apple, we would find, uh, this is gross, and if you're squeamish, just be warned, we would find dead bugs in people's computers quite often. Like the, a, a, some sort of insect got into the, the board and got into laptops, got into desktops, and it was nasty. But it happens. Yeah, especially if like if you're in the if you're in the country, like you're going you're going to have unwelcome guests come in your home every now and then. <laughs> but it blew up your power supply. All right, uh, story time. Actually, that reminds me of a story. If we have time, well, you're the editor. I think we got nothing but time. <laughs> <laughs> My uncle lives in New Jersey, and he's from here, from uh, like the Valdosta area. But he's lived in New Jersey ever since he graduated high school. He went there, never came back. And he'll come out to visit. Anyway, he had, when my grandpa and my dad's side was still alive, he went down to visit them, right? And he had a girlfriend that he met in New Jersey that he brought with him. And she has lived in New York, New Jersey her whole life and has never been to the woods, never been to the country. She doesn't know what to expect. So she goes and they're staying with my grandpa. And down here, we have what we call palmetto bugs, which are, think about cockroaches, but a hundred times bigger. Yep. And they fly. <laughs> <laughs> so they were laying in bed and she heard something and she asked my uncle to turn on the light. And he turns on the light and there's a big ass palmetto bug on the ceiling. And she, <laughs> and she told him, get my ass out of this motherfucking country and take me back to New Jersey right now. <laughs> So they drove 19 hours down, and the next day they drove 19 hours back because she was scared of this dying-ass cockroach. (laughs) I I understand it. I mean, the first time my stepmom visited Louisiana, I was with her, and she's from from, um, the Northeast, and I had to play translator because she couldn't understand what anybody – was talking about and she'd lean over and I just, I would, I would translate the thick Southern accent to her. (laughs) So it's different. Yeah. That's how I lived in Omaha for a year and that happened to me there. Like I was talking to some girl and she was like, listen, you're really cute, but I can't understand a damn thing you're saying. (laughs) Well, I've got a, so I've got a correction that I want to talk about from the last episode because you asked me a question and it really caught me on my heels. You asked, what the network was that he, that Peter Popoff is broadcast on currently. And there are actually several. So I wanted to, I wanted to, to name these in case anybody feels like they, you know, want to watch this idiot. Um, he <laughs> appears twice a week on a network called Aspire. He's still on BET. He also is on CW plus, which I'm assuming is like a streaming service. I'm not totally sure. Uh, the up network, but the main network and the one I couldn't remember is word network. So like the word network. BET executives, you should be a fucking shame of yourself. Yep. Word word network as well. I mean, that's like wall to wall coverage um, of just televangelists. It's like 24 oh, wow. hour televangelist coverage. And he, so it's just the Griff network, basically. Yeah, it is. It's like you can watch, take your pick, whichever one you want. If you want to watch several, this is the channel to do it. <sighs> Yeah, so that's 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 blech. now to cleanse our souls of Peter Papa. We've got a really quick mini grift story that not really related to today's subject, but I think uh, I, I want to read it anyway because I think it was a lot of fun. 
think this would be an ongoing segment, right? On the show. As long as stuff pops out, I think that's the real thing. It's like now, it, now I'm like my search results are they know that I'm looking for grifters. <laughs> and so these stories just pop out. Even when I'm not looking for them, I'm like, everything is a grift. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, and it's funny too, because most of it I have is on my work computer. So it's like, oof, this is a, this is a weird brew of algorithms. <laughs> this is from a Washington post article uh, on April 7th, 2021. Last May, Rodney Wheeler dialed 911 with a frantic plea for help. His wife had just plunged hundreds of feet over a steep cliff in West Virginia National Park. Authorities quickly launched a massive search for Julie Wheeler, 44. For days, hundreds of volunteers, police, and professional rescuers trekked along the base of the New River where her husband said she had fallen, aided by helicopters and rescue dogs. But Julie Wheeler had never gone missing. Three days after she supposedly fell off a cliff, authorities found her hiding inside a closet in the couple's Beaver, West Virginia home. In fact, the couple had tried to elaborately fake her death to help avoid federal sentencing in a healthcare fraud scheme. They planned to eventually slip away and hide together. <sighs> yeah. So, so here's, here's the scheme. Julie Wheeler was the owner and operator of JRW Home Health Support Systems Court Records Show. In 2016, a Veterans Affairs office hired her company to help a veteran diagnosed with spina bifida. I looked it up. It spina was, bifida. That's, yes. There you go. Thank you. <laughs> um, but investigators later found that Wheeler inflated her work hours to get nearly $470,000 in inappropriate fees from the program. Oh, so just like stealing time? That was yep, stealing time from Veterans Affairs. Just uh, classy. Uh, she was charged with fraud in September and later pleaded guilty. She was scheduled to be sentenced on June 17th. So in May, before she could be sentenced, she faked her death. Was it really going to be that bad that she needed to fake her death like the sentencing? Well, it got worse because now her husband was an accomplice. So now he's got charges and her charges <laughs> increased for this. Uh, apparently, they they threw a shoe and an old cell phone down to, to make it look more authentic. One that's, shoe, it? that's it? <laughs> that's it. You can tell they didn't do a very good job. It only took them three days to get caught. Like the police were like <laughs> three days. But you also, not only did you steal this money from Veterans Affairs, now you're talking about all the resources to scramble helicopters and rescue teams to look right. for this woman who wasn't actually missing. It's just wasted a whole bunch of everybody's time. Yeah, just to keep your ass it, out of jail. And now you're in jail with your husband. Honestly, I don't think she would have went to jail. I think she probably, would, if she did go to jail, maybe three to five years with parole. And then it's done. It's over. And now you're going to spend like what, 10, 15, 20. <laughs> and, and he, like the husband went on to Facebook and was like, please keep us in your thoughts and prayers and all this. It's just, it's, I'm shocked. They didn't start a GoFundMe. I'm, I'm listen, I, I can tell you what I can, they found each other somehow and it's probably appropriate because they both sound like total shitheads. <laughs> <laughs> However, you know, if, if Miss Cleo had been around, she would have told the cops right away. God, and that brings is... us to our subject today, Miss Cleo. People have been criticized and jabbed at and talked about throughout the ages for having different beliefs. And apparently I am no exception. Although it is a constant challenge, I will continue. I will not allow them to stop me. I will teach as a shaman and help those who seek the knowledge. So, dear Dalton, my friend, what do you know? about Miss Cleo. 
Mm, Austin, I know that she was, damn it, I immediately did it. <laughs> I know that she was at the end of a 1-900 line and that she would charge by the minute to give you psychic readings. Yep. And that's, I don't know, that's pretty much it. They keep you on the line as long as they can and they get as much money out of you as possible. Yep. So that's, none of that is untrue, but it goes a little deeper and gets a little bit more messy and elaborate. And I think it, I actually found out, I learned a lot from this and I think it's a really interesting story that she's got. Um, it is primarily focused in the nineties, specifically between 97 and um, 2002, which was great because unlike Popoff, who's been at this for like 60 years, it was a lot easier to consolidate just, you know, these these five years, really. Yeah. Um, so the 90s was a big time for 900 numbers. You don't see them as much anymore. You definitely don't see them advertised as much as they were in the 90s. They were everywhere. They were like, they had like tech support services and fan hotlines. Hulk Hogan had his own fan hotline. Listen here, brother. Call 1-900, blah, 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 and get to the WCW hotline, brother. Get out of those hot tips. Mean Gene gonna set you up, brother. Yeah, well, that's, and that's actually separate from from Hogan's line. Hogan just had one where he, you'd, he would record messages and you'd call in. But I mean, they were also like gossip lines. There was phone sex lines. And of course, television psychics. Um, and like, like you alluded to, there was even a WCW a hotline that Mean Gene Okerlund would, would uh, put the commercials on. And to this day, I remember the phone number because it was drilled into my head. 1-900-909-9900. And wow. yep, just drilled. I watched WCW Saturday night every weekend. And that was that commercial. I had to have been slotted like three or four times in that hour. And I was a good kid. So I definitely asked my parents before I called, but I definitely called that number a few times as, as a, as a youngster. So that's very near and dear to my heart. Um, I think I've ever called a one number. It's, it's a generational thing. I think I'm, I'm just that much that enough older than you where it was a thing when I was a kid and it's not a thing anymore. Well, what's the like, I'm guessing since this was pre-internet and pre like having the world's information at your fingertips, the allure was to find out something that you didn't know. Yep. Yep. And I think, I think internet probably put a lot of these 900 numbers out of business. You know, I mean, 97 was early internet. There was definitely an internet then, but it just wasn't nearly the thing that it is now. Social media wasn't at all the thing that it is now. So yeah, I think that probably had a lot to do with it. I also feel like there was a ton of fraud in the 900 number world. And so it eventually got cracked down on and the players just went away or went to jail. So up until this point, the big operator in the psychic hotline space was called the Psychic Friends Network. And their thing was they would connect you with a psychic, but they all had celebrity um, spokespeople. So Dion Warwick, LaToya Jackson, they were both <laughs> celebrity spokes. They never claimed to be psychic. They just were representatives for the Psychic Friends Network. Um, Did they tell people like, oh, this network has helped me? No, they just would, they would like, sometimes they would be on the air with one of the celebrity psychics that no one outside of that world would actually know as a celebrity, but they were all over the airwaves. So, um, yeah, so they, they was like the, the stage was set and it was prime time for some new blood to come in to the psychic world, to the, the telephone psychic world. And so all of a sudden in, uh, 1997, this tarot card reading Jamaican Patois shaman showed up to tell you what's really going on with your relationship. Was your man cheating on you? Call me now. Who's the father of my baby? Call me now. 
timing was perfect. This was peak trashy daytime TV too. So it was like, just went hand in hand with like the Ricky uh, Jones show and um, Jerry Springer, Jerry Springer. Yeah. Jenny Jones. Um, it's, it, there just was so much trash and, and, and scandal and all kinds of stuff. And it just kind of this perfect storm. Um, now, we're going to talk a lot about the Psychic Readers Network, not to be confused with the Psychic Friends Network, which was the kind of the big show before Cleo came along. Uh, but we're going to talk a lot about Miss Cleo because I think without her, there would be no Psychic Readers Network. I mean, that's, right. like, she, she like is like, draw. The, yeah, she's the centerpiece. She's the face of the operation. She really changed the landscape without being a celebrity. Like before then, they were getting all these like washed up B and C list celebrities to be spokespeople. And then this operation was a little different because they created this character to to be the spokesperson, which I think is kind of a really interesting idea and a, and a smart move on their behalf. So she was actually born um, Yuri Del Harris on August 12th, 1962 in Los Angeles, California. Oh, so she's my kinfolk. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I wanted to make that joke, but you beat me to it. Yes, you, <laughs> you may at some point have been related to... Miss Cleo. Mm, that explains this fine accent, Austin. Boo, Dalton. Boo. Don't do it. <laughs> Please don't cancel me. <laughs> so she was raised um, by strict Catholic Caribbean parents and was sent off to an all-girls boarding school at an early age. Um, I want to talk about this early on because it's something that everyone talks about, and that is the authenticity of her accent, right? So it's not real. It's put on. And I think it's such a minor part of this ordeal. But after, spoiler alert, this whole thing collapses, it becomes like this big focusing point. And it's kind of gross and uh, really disgusting how they pile on to like, oh, she's not even really Jamaican. Well, her parents were of Caribbean heritage. And she even said at one point that she um, and this is a quote from her. When you grow up in America and you're Caribbean, your parents beat it into you that the only way to succeed is by dropping the patois. My mother was very deliberate about that. And so was my father. So she claims to it kind of kind of walks around like had the accent when she was young. I don't think that that's actually probably true. I think she was just probably around potentially around relatives that had it. And she kind of picked it up there. You know, her mom was actually, her parents were from uh, Texas and California. So they weren't even, um, you know, that they, they, they had been born in the United States. So I don't, I don't know, but I also just don't think it's a big deal. And as we talk about it, you'll see why it's just a, it's a weird thing that everybody got like so transfixed on um, because it was so part of her character. Well, the 90s weren't the classiest times. No, no. And, and this story is about the 90s. People in the 90s being very much people in the 90s, like being the most pure, like just, uh, it's it's really not great stuff. Um, but let's talk about great stuff. And that's Cleo's coming up. Um, so she, she claimed that she was a theater arts major at the University of uh, Southern California, but the school had no record of her being enrolled in the theater program. Um, it's a little dicey because there's not, she wasn't a public figure, so there's not a lot on her. So I'm kind of going to jump around a little bit in time just to give you an idea of what it is. So she does make a lot of claims that don't really have any factual backing, and this is early on. So there's a little griftiness, but I don't think it's, I think it's in the lines of like Peter Popoff myth building, you know, right, we're, right. We're, storytelling. Yeah. Storytelling. 
like my dad said, and I think I said this on a previous episode, never let the truth get in the way of a good story. Goddamn um, right. <laughs> so, um, she was, however, married to a man at the age of 19 with whom she had a daughter. Uh, she divorced when she was 21. And then she had a second daughter uh, sometime in her late 20s. It's a little unclear, but she does have kids. Oh, okay. Um, again, like I said, it's kind of tough to, to track everywhere that she went. But in 1996, she pops up in Seattle. At this point, she's going by the name of Ree Paris rather than Yuri Harris, and formed a small theater company that put on shows that she had written. She's an actress. She's a writer. This is obviously going to come into play later on. Oh, um, yeah. Among her credits was a play called Four Women Only, in which she played, wait for it, a Jamaican woman named Miss Cleo. Oh, okay. I'm starting to see the beginnings of this character here. Yes. So it was very much a character that she had created and written and, and, and played. So this is like the origin story for her. Uh, if she had, if she was a superhero, <laughs> it was Miss Cleo number one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Struck by lightning in a play, Miss Cleo was born. So the theater company was funded by the Langston Hughes Cultural Arts Center. And according to a report in the Seattle Post Intelligencer, mm-hmm. after that show, Harris skipped town without fully paying the cast and crew of the shows. So uh, she was in charge of this company and she took off. Scummy um, promoter. <laughs> yeah. She, so she claimed at the time that she had bone cancer and that her medical costs prevented her from paying everyone right away, but that she would pay each member of the company as soon as she could. She went so far as to write a letter to everyone involved in the production, noting the amount of money that she owed them, but none of them were ever paid bone cancer that was the excuse that is the excuse it's it's you know like i don't like doubting people's health and like medical status it just feels a little grimy to me but it i can't find anything that backs up the bone cancer story yeah um, i don't i don't want to i don't want to villainize her for that just yet but it seems like she recovered pretty quick yeah so um yeah so the the langston hughes uh cultural arts center never pressed charges against her because it would have cost more in legal fees than the amount of money that she'd stolen or left town with stolen stuff um but you know also should be noted that in addition to the claim of bone cancer harris was spinning a few other tales that could never be corroborated corroborated um she told a castmate that she had sickle cell anemia and was living in constant pain and there's no evidence about that, but that is a horrible disease. And, you know, if that was true, I think, you know, it would have been an obvious thing. Um, but again, she never brings that up again. She never brings up bone cancer. Like she's been interviewed a lot. And those are things that were brought up early on and then just totally left. So I, I, I would put a little question mark on all of that stuff. Yeah. Well, sickle cell anemia, I don't, doubt that as much as i do bone cancer just right. because i know in the black community sickle cell anemia is something that runs rampant yeah yeah absolutely um she also really loved a good alias um she went by uh in addition to re paris which was the alias she was currently using she also went by yuri Cle- yuri cleo mill yuri paris ray del harris cleo millie paris yuri and cleo millie harris I'm a so. big fan of Fredell Harris. It's <laughs> a really good name. Um, and I, I guess, like I said, I, I think it's a little grifty. I don't think that she's she's not a big player in the grift world if we were measuring her up to other people that we, we've talked about and we're going to talk about in the future. Yeah. 
But now that she's fled Seattle, she has firmly created this this character named Miss Cleo. And this is this is where we go. So she eventually relocated to Florida because, of course, Florida. Hell yeah. <laughs> it is the wild, wild west down there. Listen, spoiler alert. I love Florida. <laughs> I love Florida so much. And you live basically in Florida. Yeah, yeah. Uh, without giving away exactly where I live, I live in the Valdosta, Georgia area. And I can drive 10 miles and be in Florida. So, I don't know, man. I have like this love-hate affair with Florida. <laughs> I hate the people most of the time, but it's really pretty. And <laughs> like the beaches a couple hours away and, you know... <laughs> Yeah, that's where we're, we're gonna we're gonna butt heads on that. I'm I'm, a, I'm not a Florida defender, but that's okay. <laughs> I'm a Florida sympathizer. <laughs> not even not even Florida is enough to break us apart on if you catch my grift. <laughs> Hashtag not even Florida. Uh, <laughs> Going so, on a t-shirt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Put that on the list. So eventually, she was hired by Access Resource Services. Um, I'm going to call them ARS for short, and they are the parent company of a bunch of psychic hotlines, but most notably the Psychic Readers Network. Okay, so uh, this is the big player in the one nine hundred. This is the upstart. So the big one again, it's really confusing because the big one is called the Psychic Friends Network, and this is the Psychic Readers Network. But just I'm not going to talk about Psychic Friends Network anymore because it's like you know it's the old uncool one. The Psychic Readers Network is like the new kid and really cool and all kinds of flashy new stuff. So that's who she's hired by. I'm itching to make a wrestling reference, but I know our audience is going to like chase me out of town with pink shorts and torches if I keep going. But you know what I'm alluding to. <laughs> it's WCW and WWF. That is two brands. It's two big behemoth brands. Coke um, and Pepsi. It's, Coke and Pepsi. Uh, yeah. Exactly. See, you're, you're in Georgia. Coke and Pepsi. Coke forever. Yeah. Get that Pepsi trash out of my life. I'm team Coke too. Man, we're going to lose people in this one. Uh, this is Get the one it? I wanted. This is the one I wanted people to come into. <laughs> so the the company was founded by a wealthy Florida businessman named Stephen Fetter, and his cousin Peter Stoltz. Um, according to Clio, it was Fetter and Stoltz who were looking specifically for a Jamaican tarot card reader as the spokesperson for their company. So Clio was the perfect person to play the role. I don't know why that was what they had in their mind for a casting, but it was a brilliant marketing move, you know, that really, really worked out for them. It is a good marketing move, but at the same time, it feels gross. It, it is. Does. It's highly, highly exploitive. It feels um, like you're typecasting, like what you would expect uh, voodoo or like that, that kind of person to look like and sound like. And I don't know, man, it just, it feels gross. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, two rich white guys that are using, uh, you know, exploiting a black woman and her heritage to make a lot of money. Absolutely. This is, again, this is the, this is, well, I was going to say this is the nineties, but this definitely still happens. Oh, without a doubt. Um, but I, what I can't overstate is how quickly Miss Cleo became a huge cultural icon um anyone with a television in the 90s which is basically anybody knew miss cleo um she stood out from anybody else in television and just from everything about her it was like the way that she dressed and the way that she spoke and she was like really confident and she was very direct and very strong and people were like wow who is this um 
you know, and, and it also brought in a lot of parody. I mean, she was, she was, uh, you know, parodied on mad TV. She's parodied by Dave Chappelle, Saturday night live. Um, she even had a, a guest host spot on the Jenny Jones show, which was the absolute dog shit worst of the, all the daytime talk shows. <laughs> it was horrible. And that really, woman... that's like, that's the sign of mainstream success, right? Yeah. You're having all of these people, including Saturday night live, making fun of you. That means yep. that you're doing something right. Yeah, 100%. I think she was a little bit of an easy target, too, because she was so well-known, and you could have fun with, like, a tarot card reader as a character. But, yeah, it, it's crazy. She actually even um, eventually published a book called Keeping It Real, A Practical Guide for Spiritual Living. What um, an ironic title. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> considering everything to come. Um, but she was everywhere. So, yeah, so that's a little bit on this, Cleo. Now I want to talk about the actual grift itself and kind of how it worked and what it was and all that good stuff. It seems, and, and you even alluded to this, that it's a pretty basic scam, right? You call the number and you get charged every minute that you talk to one of their psychics. And yeah, that's that's the, the top line. That's the, the very beginning, the big layer, but it kind of goes a little deeper. Well, than I that. imagine that like they have leads and supervisors that are telling you like, hey, say this, keep them on the line as long as you can. Very much. The 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 length of time that you're on the on the call is monitored and it's very much part of the whole of the whole thing. So you're um, never going to get a clear answer, right? Because once you get a clear answer, you're hanging up the phone. Yeah. 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 That's, that's, yeah, that's really it. I mean, you're never going to get a yes or no from these guys. They're going to want to talk around it. And there's some people that are better at doing that than others. And they're the ones that are more successful in this sort of racket. Um, and the rates for these calls are anywhere from 99 cents to most commonly $4 and 99 cents per minute. Whew. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but don't, don't worry, Dalton, you can't be on these calls for more than 60 minutes or they automatically hang up on you. So 60 minutes. That's yeah. Quick math. Uh, $300. Jesus. Okay. <laughs> yep. That's the maximum you can spend on one phone call. That's or a be bill. Charged. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a significant amount of money for a lot of these people. Um, so on top of that, there were really a lot of deceptive practices that went on. They, um, a popular one was advertising a toll-free 1-800 number. And then when you would call, it would have a recording to tell you that you actually have to call the 900 number. <laughs> or sometimes they would even just audit, you'd call a 1-800 number and they would transfer the call without you knowing it to a 900 number and you'd start getting called. Very, oh. very dubious. Yeah. That seems like it should be illegal. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it is. They have like a bunch of recordings and sometimes like the recordings are the way that they announce that you're going to be charged is it's really deceptive and and people sometimes didn't realize that that's what the recording was alluding to and all this weird stuff. They're going to get their money. Um, every single commercial that the psychic readers network ran promised of the first three minutes of each call was free. Now, what many of the callers were unaware of is the amount of time that they'd be on hold waiting to speak with their personal psychic. And even after they connect, they'd sometimes spend more time giving personal information, being pitched a monthly subscription plan that started at $9.99 a month, or purchasing their very own Miss Cleo branded tarot cards. So they're at the jump, they're keeping you on the phone for as long as they can. That seems really ahead of its time, to be yeah. honest. Not to give these people that too much credit, but a subscription service isn't something like we 
really look for until like the 2010s. Yeah, no, it's true. Like, like you can, you can call the psychic. Hot. I don't know that I couldn't find a lot about what the subscription service entailed, but it just feels like it's different packages based on how many hours you can talk to a psychic per right. month. Yeah, that's what I would think. Netflix for psychics. Yeah, Netflix for psychics. It's maybe a business idea. <laughs> you might have to edit that out. <laughs> you have such a such a convincing patois. <laughs> oh, Austin, you don't say. See, this is what I'm talking about, folks. <laughs> that was Dalton. This is Austin speaking now. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> um, so what are you getting when you actually call? for these readings, right? There is, uh, this is from a September 2016 piece in the New York Times by Bennett Madison titled, I was a hotline psychic for Miss Cleo. When a woman asked me her who her true love was, I told her that the spirits were sending me a mental picture of a star. Maybe you'll meet him at a planetarium or at a Texaco. What? The Texaco logo used to be a star. Oh man, come on! <laughs> and a planetarium because it was full of stars. <laughs> oh, okay, I'm really coming around on this. That kind of rules. <laughs> so the piece continues. There was a silence on the other end, and then the woman said, "My ex-husband is a sheriff." The woman said, "Awestruck, you know, with a badge." And the psychic said, "That's him. That's it. Get him back. He's the one." Oh, okay, I I don't want to seem like a fan of this but i can appreciate that kind of like the logic and the yeah they lead to their yeah and i mean all their advertisements say that this is for entertainment purposes only but people can take this stuff seriously and i don't know anything about what happened with her ex-husband but they obviously were not together for a reason and now you've got this teenager i think she was a teenager in her early 20s telling a random stranger that she needs to get back with her ex-husband i can see that going really bad very quickly yeah yeah what if she left because she was getting like hurt or yeah, there was abuse or something else was i mean like there's a litany of reasons why they were no longer married and, and uh, let's be honest cops aren't really known for treating their wives very well well there's definitely a, a power dynamic there that exists that i think you can you can be really that can turn into something bad quickly but i don't know that's that's a anonymous call into the service that cost her a lot of money i'm sure oh yeah um so i i you know i will say that there's nothing wrong with escapism like it could be innocent you can call it as a a, just for fun people get readings just for fun and it's kind of a neat activity to do but um it's just really exploitive and you're always going to cast a net to catch those people that are really vulnerable again like televangelists they just you you attract those people that are having issues and problems and need some sort of help or advice or solutions well a lot of these things like you you told you said something about the uh the thing that said for entertainment only i'm sure like that was put in very small font and it's pretty much a catch-all, so they can't get sued. Exactly, exactly. And this is so. This is also from the Times piece. She continues. She goes. It didn't seem as if anybody was all that entertained. Sure, every now and then we'd get a good call, like when Heidi intuited that a woman asking if she should move to Asheville, North Carolina, was really asking if she should explore a lesbian identity. Otherwise, our customers were desperate and sad. They were being evicted. They were about to lose custody of their children. They were lonely enough to pay by the minute to chat with a stranger. The fact that the stranger was me began to seem really cruel. 
So like Popoff and like so many other grifters we're going to cover, they're taking advantage of the most desperate and the most financially ruined people they yeah. can get their hands on. Yep. The most vulnerable people. Yeah, it's like a, it's like a, it's a poor and vulnerability tax almost on a lot of this stuff. Um, and there, there's a lot of these stories. There's, um, there's a story about a caller looking for their developmentally challenged sibling. Um, there was a story about a woman who was being abused by her husband. Uh, and then there was even a story about a guy who was crying because he was facing uh, houselessness and he was spending his final dollars on getting career advice from a psychic. Oh, that's disgusting. Oh, that's so gross. Yeah. I didn't backload this. Like I did the previous episode, like I'm going to mix these stories in just so it's not all at once, but yeah, I mean, this yeah. is really what they're doing is really disgusting. And, you know, Cleo kind of becomes the, the figurehead and the vehicle for all of that. Pretty much the spokesperson, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The face of the company. When the hotline started up, the network was looking for experienced psychics and quotes <laughs> to take the incoming calls. But shortly after their launch, they were overwhelmed with customers and started hiring non-psychics to do the readings. As a non-psychic, you would get a script and a tarot card computer program that would just generate the readings. What? <laughs> high tech, high tech psychics here. Yeah, it was 97. I could see, you know, having a desktop and like a little little app that you have to, you know, install and it'll give you your own rating. Um now, ARS would later claim that every psychic they hired had to, this is so stupid, had, a lawyer said this, just get that right, had to swear under penalty of perjury that they were a genuine psychic. What is that? Is that like? I don't, I don't know. I don't, how would you prove that? Exactly. How would you go to court and say this person uh, is not a psychic, but it made her say she was a psychic? Yeah. It doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't make sense. It's It's such a ridiculous thing to even say. What do these job listings look like? They just put psychic needed and people come apply? I think it's telephone services or, you know, like telephone answering services or something like that. It's, It's something to do. They don't they avoid the psychic stuff in the advertisements. And they just want people to call in that can answer a phone. Um, and so they call in and they go, hey, this is actually a psychic hotline, but we can give you all the tools that'll make you successful at this job. Your job is just to keep this person on the line as long as you can. They also claimed that reading from a script was a fireable offense, but there are so many former, quote, psychics who can attest that both of these claims are absolute bullshit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So the company's like, no, 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 we don't do that. And all these former employees are going, yeah, you do. Yeah, I was there. I worked for you. <laughs> I've worked at a couple of call centers. We we all read off scripts. <laughs> Everybody reads off scripts. Yes, yeah. that's, that's that's the business. So for something like this to work, you have to keep people on the phone for as long as possible, which you alluded to earlier. Um, former employees have stated that the goal was to keep callers on the phone for at least 20 minutes. At first, it was 15 and then it got extended to 20 minutes. If you $5, 20 minutes, that's a $100 phone call. Yeah. And if you couldn't hit that number, your incoming call volume was decreased. And you were basically, you wouldn't get calls anymore to the point that you wouldn't make money and you would either quit or be fired. Wow. So like it's basically like you either do this well or you don't get any calls at all. Exactly. And it, it you know, sometimes the psychic themselves would leave callers on hold trying to stretch up the time on the phone. I would be furious if I called a 900 number and they left me on hold. <laughs> I would be, yeah, I'd be livid. So there's actually an, an AP piece on the hotline um, that I thought was 
pretty telling. Um, and I'm going to read it now. Sandra Dominic, a 36-year-old art teacher in Jamestown, New York, goes to a psychic every few years. When she saw Miss Cleo's commercial, she thought, it's free. What the hey? And she gave the 800 number a call. <laughs> I've never heard someone say, what the hey? I'm just assuming they changed it because this is running in a national newspaper. <laughs> that roars. I hope you said yeah. it. <laughs> what the hey? Like the woman who answers the <laughs> praise the Lord when she picks up the phone. <laughs> Shut the front door. <laughs> Normally, the operator explains what is about to happen and provides a 900 number. Dial the number and a recorded preamble explains some more. Then the live psychic comes on the line. After a few minutes, there's a beep and the meter starts running. Seems legit so far. Okay. Dominic said that when she called in November, she was told that it was a busy night and that she, if she agreed to stay on hold, she would be granted 15 extra minutes for free. Over the next hour, she was repeatedly told to wait and was assured that she would not be charged. Then a tape came on. She had been on the line for the maximum of 60 minutes. Click. Peeved, uh, she called back. She reached a psychic named John, who assured her that he would give her the reading she deserved. He jotted down the promise that she would receive 18 minutes free. They chatted on, and at no time did she hear a tone signaling that she was about to be charged. Aren't I supposed to be hearing something, she kept asking. Then in December, she got the bill. $489 for 98 minutes on the call. Woo! And I imagine this isn't the only person they're doing this to. No, no. These are just documented stories. Right. Oh, that is terrible. It's disgusting. Yep. Uh, a lawyer from Access put the blame on the victim, and he said that she didn't uh, listen to the tape preamble, which clearly states that if she pressed star 911 while she was on hold, the call have, would have been connect disconnected and the psychic reported with management. Yeah, but the psychic's telling her that she's going to get free extra minutes. So why would she do that? Yeah. So this is someone at the company blaming their customer rather than themselves, which is <laughs> such a shitty business tactic. Right. I, I also really like the idea of psychic management. Like, I'm going to report you psychic to management. <laughs> and I was like, well, shouldn't they see that coming ahead of time? <laughs> <laughs> you should have known. She <laughs> should have known they were going to be in trouble. So the advertising campaign for the Psychic Readers Network was massive. There were like the traditional 20, I mean, sorry, 30 and 60 second commercials that ran in heavy rotation, mostly late at night, but, and during trashy talk shows when the ad buying was really, really cheap because, you know, Jerry Springer, you have a hard time selling ads at Jerry Springer because everybody thinks it's trash, much like pro wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> and we bring it full circle. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, as the networks got more popular, they would they they ran stuff during the day, but they were also buying longer form infomercials with like thirty to sixty minutes, which we see with a lot of these TV scams. You're gonna think this is gross, but this reminds me a lot of like Girls Gone Wild advertisements when I was little. Very much like three, four o'clock in the morning, and then you had like that long stretch of two hours. Not that I watched them, I wouldn't know. <laughs> but... Dalton is wholesome. <laughs> Yeah, but it just reminds me a lot of uh, that kind of advertising. Yeah, oh, it's it's totally on on bar with that. I mean, this and this is the same time. I think there was a lot of this going on. Um, in addition to the TV stuff, there were uh, they advertised online through telemarketing, and they had a direct mail campaign. So we're back to the direct mail world, like we were with Popoff. It sounds like so much of the same. Like it's a completely different grift, but they're using a lot of the same tactics. It's kind of fascinating that that's that is the way it is. And her and Popoff are, are similar in that regard. At least those operations are. Um, but I think hers honestly amplifies up even more than his. He's, he they don't have the ridiculous 
you know, things that you have to do and prayers that you have to say, but we're going to get to it. So I, I do want to talk about the telemarketing and direct mail campaigns just to give you an idea of like what these people started going through. Um, so the Psychic Readers Network would send customers letters or postcards from one of their psychics. These letters would typically state that the psychic had urgent information that would impact a customer's romantic, financial, or professional life, and they should immediately call a toll-free number for a free reading. So if you're a believer in this stuff, you're like, oh shit, I gotta call now. Yeah, they just sent me a postcard that said I have to call. Um, they also use both live telemarketers and recorded solicitations to try and coax customers into calling for another reading. Um, for what I can tell you, these calls were unrelenting. They would call customers all the time. Um, they also, uh, there was an ongoing email campaign. So you would get letter messages in your inbox from Miss Cleo and it was just nonstop. And I have to say, I don't think you remember what a wild, wild west the internet was in the late 90s and early 2000s. I mean, this is long before spam filters were around. And if they were, they were just absolute garbage at actually catching spam messages. So this stuff is going right into your inbox. Miss Cleo is emailing you about calling her to get a reading. Yeah, I wasn't on the internet until like the late 2000s. Yeah. So, so I have no idea what it was like in the 90s. Oh, <laughs> I wouldn't want to go back. I'd just say that. I wouldn't want to go back. Um, so like when you put all this together, you're kind of stuck in hell, <laughs> you know, like you're someone who <laughs> fell for the con. You're looking at this massive phone bill and you keep getting calls to spend more money on your readings. Every time you check your mail, you have letters from your psychic. And if you're online, your inbox was full of urgent emails from your psychic. If you're an addict, and I really think that there's something here about psychic addiction, the Psychic Readers Network was serving you up with every reason to continue that addiction. I never really thought about that. Like it could be an addiction to find out the future of your life and what like life has in store. That makes yep. a lot of sense. Yep. Um, one of the more wicked things that I, that I read about was that there was no way to actually contact anyone at the Psychic Readers Network or access outside of calling the 900 number and incurring more charges. Wow. So you can't even call customer service? Nope. You had to call the psychic number, the 900 number. Oh, that is, of course, people aren't, they're just trying to pay the bill and shut up because they don't want to pay more charges. Now, ARS doesn't actually bill customers directly. They work through an agent. Um, for the sake of this example, we're going to use AT&T as the agent because that actually was one of the agents that ARS used for billing purposes. So what happens is Access sends documentation of the calls and the charges to AT&T. AT&T then contacts the caller's local phone service to have them include those charges on the caller's next bill. If the caller wants to dispute the charges, they dispute them through AT&T and not ARS or the Psychic Readers Network. AT&T- so They don't have to deal with it. No, they don't. And AT&T has the ability to forgive those charges and credit the caller's account if they're disputed. However, this doesn't mean that Access, or I'm sorry, ARS, I keep going back and forth between Access and ARS, I hope that's not confusing. Uh, this doesn't mean that ARS had forgiven the charges and they would then turn over the caller's information to a collections agency. So what happens if uh, they don't pay, like, all right, this is bullshit, I'm not paying these charges, and they don't go to AT&T to dispute it, they'll just have their phone service turn off. So, yeah, AT&T would oftentimes forgive these costs. So, I mean, they, they wouldn't have to pay sometimes, not always, but sometimes. 
But then when they were entangled with a collections agency, you're like in a new spiral of hell. These um, collections agencies would start calling, threatening to sue, garnish your wages, and report your debt to the consumer rating agencies if they weren't paid. Huh. Wow, that's that's tough. Yeah. So, I mean, they're like, we're going to get our money no matter what. So AT&T can forgive this debt, but it's not their debt to forgive. So we're going to go after you with these like just nasty collection agencies making all these threats to you. So now you're getting calls from the psychic hotline and from a collections agency all at the same time. Well, I imagine they did pretty well in court too. They have the law- they had the money to avoid the lawyers. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we'll get into the money. It's, it's something truly spectacular. Um, so what are these psychics being paid for their reading services? This what I thought was really interesting. Uh, it's been reported that they would make 14 cents per minute. So what? Yeah. <laughs> That's outrageous. That's not even worth the time. So, yeah, I mean, it's insane. After a 20 minute call, you're walking away with $2 and 80 cents. And if you're lucky enough to have two 20 minute sessions in an hour, you're making $5 and 60 cents per hour. That's criminal that that should be well at the time i doubt that was illegal but that should be yeah it absolutely should be yep yep so these guys they weren't making any money what was minimum wage at this time uh it's probably around that five dollars federally states have a different minimum wage so just depending on what state you're working in believe it or not miss cleo herself would also take calls so if you got lucky enough you would be connected to miss cleo uh, and rather than 14 cents per minute, she was paid a much higher rate of 24 cents per minute. A double what everybody else makes, basically. Yeah, ten, 10 cents more. Oh, well, bad math. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so she was not making a lot of money. I mean, she was being paid as a performer. Um, she even admits herself that she had a bad contract and probably should have been paid more for than what she was, uh, but she had didn't realize it was going to blow up the way it was. Was she at least getting paid for her like appearances and commercials and yes. stuff like that? Yeah. And they sent her on like touring uh, engagements. So that she was being shipped all over the, the United States to promote it. And she was paid as a spokesperson and then she could make some side money if she wanted to dial in and take calls on the hotline. I'm not sure if there was any sort of requirement that she had to take a certain number. I couldn't find any evidence of that. And she's never mentioned it. So it just felt like if ever she wanted to jump in, she could. Like an Uber, basically. Yeah. If you wanted to, if you want to drive that day, just log in the app. My second question is: Is it this random luck of the draw that you get, Miss Cleo? Or, yeah, I think so. She said something about having a specific extension that if people knew it, they could get directly to her if she happened to be online at the time. But I don't. I really don't know what the continuity between psychics were. You know, like did you get your psychic every time you'd call? Or would you just get another random person every time? And I, I couldn't get any clarity on that. From the interviews that I've seen with people that used to work there, it feels very random. It feels like they weren't getting these repeat calls that it just was whoever was up next in the queue. I feel like that would bust like the grift a little bit because a lot of one psychic told you the opposite of what another psychic said. Yeah, but I think they're also vague enough where you, you don't say something that's so concrete that can be, you know, that can be reversed by just another psychic. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Plus, I, I think a lot of this comes into, I want to say self-owning, but it's like the the customer provides a lot of the backstory and the information voluntarily. 
you know, like they get on and they'll say, okay, well, last time they told me this and this and this, and then this happened. And the psychic goes, yes, I get that. And I'll take that and run with it. I don't know. Why wouldn't somebody just call in and be like, you're the psychic. Why don't you know what they told me? Because you're cynical and wouldn't call this number. You're not their customer. <laughs> They're not coming for you, Dalton. <laughs> That's why. There are psychics everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> They're not, you're not their customer. Their customer is not going to do that. You know, their clientele is a very different clientele who really believes this stuff to their core. And so they're never going to question it. Why would you question it? Like, this is what you believe. Yeah. It's a little like religion that way. Yeah. That makes sense. Like there's ridiculous stories in the Bible, but people believe them because that's the, their, the, the core of their, you know, their beliefs. This is a side tangent and I may keep this in. I may not, but do really, people really think Noah got all the animals on that boat? Two of every animal. That's a whole lot of animals. So how much of a leap in logic is that from uh, calling a psychic over the phone and getting advice? I don't know. I, I guess the arts a little bit more far-fetched if we're being honest. That's, I'm t- yes. I'm telling you. Yes. I, I don't know. I'd sooner believe someone has some sort of innate psychic ability that they are on a higher plane of existence that, or, you know, than I would about cramming all those animals in a big wooden ship. That thing is going down. (laughs) Can you imagine the smell? Oh, my God. I'm sorry to put that in your brain. It'll rot you forever, but it's been in my brain rotting away for a long time. So now I'm sharing it with you. Sorry, Dalton. Uh, It's okay. I just stay clear of the elephant room. I mean, this was like... (laughs) This was like, you want to talk about like BC. This was also before Clorox. Um, <laughs> there was no bleach to be cleaning that place out. <laughs> Everybody just lived in their own filth. Ugh, no, no thanks. God, Sorry. I'm so thankful that we're existing when we do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he says, as we're going in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> uh, listen, I'm bad to be, I don't, uh, I'd rather be in the middle of a pandemic than have to go shit outside. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Uh, so even if Cleo wasn't making a whole lot of money, uh, Stephen Fetter and Peter Stoltz were making a lot of money in this scam. Scam, that's what it is. Um, there are a lot of estimates. There's nothing concrete as to how much money that they made. Um, but uh, one estimate from the New York State Consumer Protection Board estimated that they were generating more than $400 million a year from the psychic hotline. Um that number seems really, really high. And from everything I've read, it's pretty clear that between 1997 and 2002, the company pulled in well over a billion dollars with a B. Wow. In five and years. And meanwhile, they're paying their employees basically $5 an hour. And some of their employees don't even work for them. Some of them are contracted out through other companies. Oh, Okay. It's, it's, there's so much, the infrastructure, I mean, I, I, it would take me years to kind of look into all of the elaborate ways that they, that they built this business and, and tried to kind of, you know, bulletproof themselves and then separate themselves from the whole operation. I mean, it kind of makes sense if you think about it, because technically they don't have any employees, so except for like higher up. So they give the money to these contractors and they're like, okay, these are, this is your problem. Like <laughs> these yep. people are your responsibility. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was, it was a pretty cleverly structured operation, but that didn't, it ultimately didn't help because there, with, with this kind of thing, there's obviously a lot of complaints, a lot of complaints Mm -hmm. at at the local and state level, a lot of complaints at the federal level, and a lot of investigations kind of all started up at the same time. Um, And 
in 2002, the Federal Trade Commission and eight state attorneys general open investigations into the Psychic Readers Network and access resource services. So they were, they were on them. How do you like during the, during the disposition? Like, how do you even like talk to these psychics? Like, hey, give me a demonstration of your psychic powers. Yeah, so it's they, they don't even involve the psychics themselves. Like, they're kind of not part of this whole thing. Like, they were really just going after the head of the organization because okay, they're just, cut, just cut the head off the snake. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and they actually also initially pull. Cleo in because they assume that she has some sort of ownership in the company, that she's a partner in some way. But as they investigate it further, they discover, no, she's just a paid actress in this regard, really. I mean, she's a spokesperson. She has zero skin in the game. And so they remove her from the lawsuit. The more and more I hear about this, I'm going to be very careful here, but the more and more I hear about like her involvement with the grift, she's, she comes off as a victim. Oh, she's definitely a victim. Now, do I think that she knew what she was doing? Yeah, she knew what was up, but I, I, she's definitely been taking, they are taking advantage of her in a big way during this whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, for it's sure. Un, it's unfortunate. But at the same time, I feel like she would have gotten to this place regardless, if that makes sense. Well, because going back to Seattle at the theater company, like she, pulled a scam on them and I, I think this was her destiny whether it went this way or not oh, i hate using that word Blech. i think this was like uh where she would have ended up regardless but it's still unfortunate that these people took advantage of her yep i, I agree I, I i think that that's right on the money i i think it's also i think the best thing that happened to her at this point in the story is not being an owner of this company oh without a doubt like she actually dodged a massive legal bullet by having nothing to do with this. So yes, they exploited her and they, you know, really let it, you know, left her out there, but it was ultimately a good thing that she didn't get, you know, she didn't get nailed by the FTC and these attorneys general in this investigation. So it's sort of mixed, but you'll see, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of unwrap what, what happened and, and what everybody went through. Um, so through the FTC investigation, a lot of the information about Ms. Cleo, both personal and professional, came to light. She was, like I just said, she was named in the initial complaint, but once she was discovered she had no ownership, she was removed. Uh, she was an employee. She got paid uh, as an actress and a hotline reader. That was it. She was removed as a defendant. That's all over. Um, but she was savaged by the news media. They went after her because there is nothing that the media especially the media in 2002 honestly even today like to do better than to just take the legs out from under a, a black woman who was involved in a scandal and only tangentially involved i really well, it's, it's the easiest target right because she's a black woman she claims so i don't want to say claims she comes from a different heritage help help me out uh she, she comes from a foreign place yeah so she's even, like though, a, even though she was born in the states but yeah i mean she's yeah, uh, quote unquote a foreign place <laughs> yeah and 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 that's when i talked at the beginning about the accent because that's what everybody sort of clutched their pearls about they were like oh she was a fraud she's not even jamaican and she fooled all of us into thinking that she's jamaican and oh you know and it was just it was this the, the columnists all white columnists were just absolutely running over her and really putting all the blame on her rather than the two guys that actually 
you know, were the architects of this entire operation. It's gross. Does she ever come out and say like, hey, I'm a victim in this too. Like I was getting underpaid too. She she did. She, I mean, she was interviewed several times, but that it didn't matter. That wasn't going to matter. You know, like everybody thought that she was part of this. And there was a, I think we do this sometimes where we have this collective memory loss, not even memory loss. We just, we, we attach to an idea that is actually not true, but so many people believe it to be true that that becomes the narrative, right? So yeah. everybody assumes that Cleo's on the take for this operation and they almost like will it into existence when it's there's no actual validity behind it at all. The Mandela effect. It's a lot like the Mandela effect. Uh, but they, like there are people at her home and she's, you know, showing up, the media's at her house. They find out, you know, her real name, but it's just, it's really gross. That's and, gross. And, and the stuff it's, it, it, again, it just goes back to, you know, people feeling like she lied to them because she didn't have a real Caribbean accent. The thing is, there are so many valid points people can make and the, and the fact that they're stuck on the accent really kind of exposes the, way of thinking that these people have but yeah i mean federer and stoltz just pulled away and left her out there to just sort of fend for herself so as a result of the lawsuits the numerous lawsuits the company was shut down so they agreed to a figure of 500 million dollars in damages however mm-hmm. however that was not giving 500 million dollars back that was going the the, the settlement was to forgive million in unpaid phone calls. So they basically said, if he said, you can keep what you've made, but you have to forgive what you haven't collected yet. So they got off scot-free. Basically they got to keep all their money. Well, so they had to pay uh, a fee of $5 million to the FTC and they had to send back any uncashed checks that customers had sent which I, I, I imagine they were making a very quick run for the bank to get those checks in the account so they didn't have oh, to yeah. send them back. Um, and they pleaded no contest in Missouri, placed on pay, uh, probation and ordered to pay a $50,000 fee. That's drop in the bucket. They've made yep. billions with a B. Yep. Like, that amount of money is not concerning them at all. Nope. And get this, the main guy, um, Fetter, is, was given one hour's worth of probation. So he was, he flew into Missouri, did his probation while he was at the courthouse and was able to leave his cousin. On they the put him hand. in fucking timeout. Yeah. For an hour. <laughs> oh my God. Yep. That's exactly what, that's exactly what it is. Time out. Time out for the rich white guy. I got fucking more punishment than that when I was a child. That's insane. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah, his his cousin was given two years of probation, but his lawyer expected that he'd be paroled in less than five months. So, two years of probation isn't much either. Like, I mean, you're you're not you're not doing anything. You're living your life as normal. All you got to do is check in with your probation officer every month. Yep. That's it. Yep. Yeah. So on the state level, because there were eight different states that were going after him, they were forced to forgive millions of dollars and pay fines in all eight states, but they did not have to pay back any of the money that they had already cleared. Yes. Uh, they only had to forgive outstanding bills. Um, even if you consider that they probably had a good number of civil lawsuits, which they most likely walked out of the situation. I'm sorry. Even if you consider that they probably had a lot of civil lawsuits pending, they definitely walked out with more money than they had walked in with. They, they made money. Yeah, a lot of money. Yeah. And the fact that 
right, let me try not to get on too much of a pedestal here. But the fact that you can have somebody go away for the rest of their life for a fucking weed charge, and these people spend, well, this guy spends an hour on probation for ruining people's lives. It's a shame. It makes a billion dollars doing it. Yeah, it's, our our governments failed us. All right, carry on. I also and I, <laughs> and I alluded to this point earlier. I also just feel like, you know, again, I think Cleo got really lucky that she wasn't involved in the financial part of this. She would have went down. She would have took the brunt of the punishment. Hundred percent, hundred percent. They would have nailed her. They would put her in jail. That is absolutely, I think, what would have happened. Ugh. Yeah, she dodged a bullet. She dodged a big bullet. Um. So yeah, so that's that's kind of the grift. I mean, they they made a serious amount of money and walked away relatively unscathed from the whole thing. Yeah, I, I guarantee you that. Are they st- are they still alive? Here we go. Okay. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, <laughs> we're going to talk a little bit about what happened to Miss Cleo after the hotline because I, I I do actually care more about her than I do these other two scumbags. Um, she more or less faded from the spotlight for a few years. She uh, did an interview with the advocate magazine in in 2006. And she came out as a lesbian um, and and talked about how, you know, she had had a couple of really tumultuous relationships and, and now was focused on raising her grandchildren, you know, from her two daughters. And so she just wanted to be a grandma. Um, She, kept the Miss Cleo act going actually. So she wasn't with the, the hotline anymore, but she still billed herself as Miss Cleo. And um, she kept on changing her backstory even after the hotline was done. She claimed that she was a world famous psychic working with previous hotlines before being hired by PRN. Again, there's no reason that the, I, I can't find that that's true. Maybe it was, maybe she was just a dial-in person and that's why they hired her, but I, I, I couldn't find anything to back that up. Um, she also claimed that she studied under a mambo, which is a voodoo priestess, for more than 30 years before becoming one herself. And the timing on that doesn't really line up. Like, there's no 30-year absence in her in her life, or I don't know. That's that's her. Those are her credentials. Um, because after the hotline collapse, she still maintained an active roster of clients for whom that she would continue to do personal readings for. And she even started her own podcast at one point called Conversations with Cleo. What? Yep, it's out there. You can find it. <laughs> really looking forward to that. <laughs> yeah. So in 2014, she mounted a bit of a comeback and she starred in an ad for French Toast Crunch cereal, in which she played herself in a parody of her late night commercials. Dalton, the, and I, we're going to link to it in the show notes. This commercial is fantastic and it, it's just so funny and so spot on. Wagwan babies, Miss Cleo is back. Now, do you have silverware, sweet pea? Oh my god, I do. I sent you up something other than a knife and a fork. I have a spoon. How did you know? Now I have a vision that you are going to take that spoon and scoop up a bite of French toast crunch. Oh, cinnamon and maple syrupy. I can't believe you see all that. French toast crunch is back and I predict you'll love it. Eat it now. This is going to infuriate you, though. So she shot that commercial, and they put it on air. And then after everything that the Psychic Reader Network did to her, you think they'd leave her alone. But shortly after the spot aired, they filed suit against General Mills and McCann, which is the advertising company, claiming that they own the rights to Miss Cleo. No fucking way. Uh, so this character that she built, uh, via, be it through uh, various means... 
the character that she built, they own it. They they claim to own it, and so General Mills and McCann pulled the uh, the the commercial from air. So God damn it! <laughs> it only lives on through the the internet and YouTube. Yep, these bastards. I mean, I guess they. It was one of those things that they let they let her do like her personal little company, but when she took to the airwaves using the Miss Cleo name, they said they owned it. And oh, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait! Can't make too much money. Yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, it's infuriating. Um, but she was also, this is, this is a fun fact. She was also featured in the video game, Grand Theft Auto Vice City. That's my favorite Grand Theft Auto. Hold on. What? How? Where? She is the voice of, uh, the Haitians leader, Auntie Poulet. That rules. Okay. Yeah. I like that. Yes. She's in that. She's in that game. She wasn't billed as Miss Cleo. She was billed as Yuri Harris, which is her legal name, but yeah. Um, so she never claimed to be psychic. She uh, claimed that she was a shaman and a voodoo priestess, but she said, I don't have psychic abilities. And the only reason that she went on the psychic readers network is because the, the, the people in charge of the network said, you can't say voodoo. It scares people. So you just have to play the part of a psychic. And so she would, she never actually said psychic. She would say shaman, but she never, she just, she was like, I'm not a psychic. And what a and that, silly thing to be scared of. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So that's, that's, um, you know, she just was like, that's not what I do. And she was upfront about that the whole time. So she's got kind of a weird legacy where she definitely did some grifty things, but she also was really ob- honest in some ways. And she's complicated. Like most people are. I'll, I'll say this much. She's not as much of a villain as I thought she was no, coming into this. And honestly, it paints her as more of a victim than anything. Yep. I, I find her incredibly sympathetic. I, I do. Um, and unfortunately, she uh, died uh, a few years ago. She was 53, and she died on July 26, 2016. She had had a long bout with cancer and died as a result. Uh, but she, you know, she left a mark, I think. And that's that's something that a lot of people will never be able to say about themselves. Is yeah. Leaving, I mean, you leave a mark with your family and your loved ones, but to leave a mark in popular culture is something I think entirely different. And obviously that shouldn't be your main goal in life. I think that that's a little depraved, but if it happens, then, you know, that's, that's something to be proud of. Yeah. I, I something think. to tout, even if it's kind of got bad annotations because a lot of people lost money in it, but you know, it's complicated. Yeah. It's a complicated legacy. Uh, but she's definitely not the villain. The villains are Stephen Fetter and Peter Stoltz. So I couldn't find very much about Stoltz. Um, he, he just kind of a ghost. I think he just vanished after this whole thing went down, but I did find a couple of things about Fetter. Um, just this year, he sold his waterfront mansion for $14 million. $14 million? $14 million. Uh, It was a 9,320-square-foot home with five bedrooms, seven and a half baths, a fitness room, a pool, a theater, and its own dock. So he's still like right at hot. What, did he do anything after the Socket Readers Network? I could not find anything, but I, I feel like he's he was a businessman before. I'm sure he's involved in other other ventures. Um, As like a shareholder or something like yeah, that. Yeah, or, or, you know, it's hard to track some of these sort of lower tier millionaires, you know, because they don't have a very high profile. And so they can, you know, create all these corporations to kind of hide their wealth. Um, 
It should also be brought up that he also reached a deal to rent his New York City condo, which is in the Time Warner Center, for $100,000 per month. What? <laughs> I know uh, rent's a little bit higher in New York than I'm used to, but is that is that a lot? Would you say that's a lot above the normal? That is, so at the time, it was the highest rent in New York City. It has since uh, been surpassed. I think there was a, a listing that was $120,000 a month. That's $1.2 a year. Yeah. Yep. Uh, quick math didn't fail me then. Yep. Um, <laughs> it, it's kind of a, this is kind of a, a it doesn't mean anything, but I, I feel like it's worth mentioning. So um, Steve, Stephen Federer uh, is gay. He has a, a partner. And I just got to say, there's something so off about these Florida gays. I don't know what it is. <laughs> I just don't. They're just, they're a different breed of cat entirely. <laughs> That's it. I mean, that's that's the story. These guys came in, they made a bunch of money, and they got out. And <laughs> yeah, and they got very few, you know, very few consequences. There's they they went in wealthy, they came out wealthier. You know, there was yeah. no nothing like that. Um, I feel like we need to do we need to do some of these some less of these the bad guy wins in the end episode <laughs> that's yeah. the last two the bad guy has definitely won <laughs> well i don't think this one is even though the villains came out with at the end with a lot of money i don't think they necessarily won as much in this one because miss cleo did leave a legacy and she did leave her mark on the world no whether it's good or bad you know the victim still has something to show for it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I don't know. It's, it's tough. I, I, I guess, I don't know if I, I didn't hit the, I didn't hit it as hard as I did with the pop-off episode about like how many lives they potentially ruined. And I think that that definitely goes in there. I mean, like this is just, you're stealing money that, from people that really need it. And I don't think that that should ever be forgotten in this whole thing. You know? well, potentially three hundred dollars a phone call. Like to, to I, I've been really poor, and to me, that's that's just that's a lot of money. I've I've lived in places that the rent was three twenty five a month. Yep. So that's just that's a staggering amount of money to try to fleece off of somebody in an hour. Yeah, yeah, for no other purpose other than getting rich. Like there is no service that something like this provides to people. This is right. strictly a vehicle to make as much money off of as many people as you possibly can. Yeah. And you, you, you went into this, you were already a millionaire, but that wasn't enough, right? You had to, you had to take more than what you had already. And it's I think greed. It, it is. And I think it's a disease. I think it's a disease that a lot of people have. It's like, how, how much is enough? I think with a lot of these types, there, there isn't enough. Yeah. Look at look at your Elon Musk and your uh, Amazon CEO. Help me out. Oh, Bezos, uh, Jeff Bezos. Yeah, Jeff Bezos. It, it's never going to be enough. No, I mean he made seventy six billion dollars during the during the COVID nineteen. It, it's just like, what are you going to do with that? Right. Like, at what point do you like? Do you think these people are? Well, we're getting off on a little uh, the capitalist or evil side talk. Do you think these people will ever be happy or ever be like satisfied? No, they'll be comfortable, but they'll never be satisfied. Do you um, think, do you think they, they're truly happy with the wealth that they have? No, I don't think so. I really don't. 
I don't, and I, I actually just read a story about um, Jeff Bezos's ex-wife. You know, he, he got a divorce recently, and she got a pretty substantial settlement in the divorce. Oh, and, I bet. <laughs> and she is she set up this um, organization to give the money away and to give it away without any strings attached, which I think is really interesting because a lot of times when these big donors give money away, they give it to specific organizations with a specific goal in mind. So they say, I'm going to give you this for your school. Let's just say a university, but in return, you have to establish this program at your school. So the, the people that are getting the money have all these strings attached to it, you know, and she's doing this thing where she's like, here's this money, no strings attached. I trust you and your organization to do the most good with this money. And she's focusing on, um, minority-led businesses, specifically women minority-led uh, organizations, and just giving it away. And a lot of the organizations are like, this is unreal to get this amount of money and be able to do whatever we want. Well, I'm sure there's like a little bit of sticker shock too. I'm yeah. sure there's reluctancy to take the money because it's like, okay, what do you want? Right. You want nothing? That's not possible. What do you want? <laughs> yeah, she uh, she gave specifically to a female um run it was the female dean of a tribal college and she granted them eight million dollars and said you can do whatever you want with it and so they are looking into extending from just having a bachelor's program to having a master's program and and doing all this other and i mean it, it goes uh, a long way it's really great it's that's that's a happy story um, they closed the podcast with <laughs> yeah right and she just had to be married she just had to marry jeff bezos for like 20 years which honestly no thank you um <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if there's enough money in the world to be married to that Bond supervillain. Um, uh, give me a year, get in, get out. <laughs> exactly, exactly. All right. Well, I think I want to play a game on the on the pop off series. We mentioned James Randy a lot, and how we'd like for him to be the patron saint if if he catch my drift. So my question to you austin is how can you tie in james randy into the miss cleo story well if we start doing this every week there's gonna be some that i have to stretch but this is not that week i do know james randy got involved with miss cleo whoa okay i'm all ears <laughs> so in 2002 when all this nonsense is going down uh there were several prosecutors in states or attorney generals um that wanted to go after cleo and they they wanted blood because they they couldn't get her on um, on any of the financial stuff, so they started to um, look at fraud charges because she was advertising herself as a psychic and she wasn't a psychic and that's a fraud and in some states that's illegal and so they wanted to pursue legal action. So the attorney general of Florida um, opened an investigation into fraud. James Randi volunteered to put together a test that Miss Cleo would have to take to prove that she was not actually a psychic. He's like, if you want to prove in court that she's not a psychic, I have the methodology to actually put her to the test <laughs> that will allow you to prove in court that she is a fraud and not a psychic. Okay. The the well, F Florida, they never ended up pressing any charges and they politely declined uh, James Randi's <laughs> <laughs> offer um but yeah he said hey listen i've been i've been debunking these people for a long time if you need your if you need my help I, i'm happy to do it oh man he really got his fingers everywhere doesn't he he does he's got like teams of people that work for him at this point 
All right, guys, if you would help us out, go to Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast from, Google Podcasts. I know Spotify doesn't allow it, but you can hit the heart. Go and rate and review us, you know, leave a nice message, leave a mean message. If you like us, tell us you like us. If we suck, tell us we suck. But if you would, leave a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. Gets us out there, helps us out. We have friends, uh, IWTV Guide, Pod Van Dam, Super Fantastic. Check those guys out. Hit the follow button for them. Really help them out a lot. If you have any topics you would like to hear us discuss, please send us an email at ifyoucatchmygrift at gmail.com. We'll look through them. And if we find something we like, we'll, we'll go over it. We'll talk about it. All right. We have a Twitter. It's at youcatchmygrift. Austin has a Twitter. It's Austin Agogo. And I have a Twitter. It's Catch Dalton. And then closing, do you have anything you want to say? No, I just want to say, look after each other. And if you get crazy things in the mail that says your psychic is looking for you, just ignore it. It's not real. <laughs> You'll never know, Austin. You'll never know. The psychic may be a phone call away. I don't know what accent that was. This is <laughs> this is like over the course of this recording, it has gone from marginally Caribbean to like Slavic. I mean, what was that? <laughs> Listen, Austin, you will be down the number. <laughs> <laughs> you'll find the psychic and you'll get the reading it's very menacing that's how you scare people into calling a psychic <laughs> all right dalton thank you buddy this has been fun we'll see you next week all right on oh on if you catch my grip keep it moving yes lord trying to get some new shit in there swimwear going to the pool sheet come now come dry your eyes